Hey, fam. Welcome to Free Trails coverage of the 2024 Black Canyon 100K, one of the most exciting and most competitive trail races ever to take place on North American soil. The 11th running of this rugged and challenging point-to-point course outside Phoenix, Arizona. Free Trail will be here doing some pre and post race coverage in partnership with our friends at Hoka, the presenting sponsor of the Black Canyon 100K and the entire golden ticket race series where runners will compete for their chance to take part in the legendary Western States 100 later this summer. You'll hear more from Hoka in the show, but make sure you visit Hoka.com to check out their entire line of trail products. Obviously, you must also tune into the Mountain Outpost YouTube channel to watch the race on Saturday. I'll be out on the course, but you better believe I will be streaming all day and engaging in the chat whenever possible. Thank you all for tuning into our coverage this weekend. Make sure you follow Free Trail on Instagram also for updates throughout the weekend. Enjoy the kickoff to the 2024 racing season. Let's go. Thank you to the good people in the chat here on the Free Trail YouTube channel. Welcome to Trailgating, our coverage of the 2024 Black Canyon 100K, one of the most exciting races of the season and sort of the symbolic kickoff for the 2024 racing season. Golden tickets on the line. We got a lot to cover in today's preview show, but before we get to it, a big welcome to our co-hosts today and throughout the weekend, the best analyst in the game, Corinne Malcolm. Corinne. Hey. Welcome to Arizona. Nice to see you again. I brought the Seattle weather with me. (laughs) It's been like this in Marin too. We'll get to the weather here momentarily, but always great to see you. Corinne, thanks for coming over, staying a mile away or so. We're neighbors here in Arizona too. And all the way from Boulder, Colorado, the 2019 champion of the Black Canyon 100K, Mr. Matt Daniels. Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, thanks for having me. Stoked to be trailgating. Trailgating, <laughs> trailgating. Um, so obviously, we're going to be doing a deep race preview here today just to sort of set the context for all of race weekend. Today's a race preview show. We're going to be back tomorrow at about 10 a.m., local time, that's mountain time, where we're going to do our final prediction show. We may have some important updates about the course and the weather for tomorrow's show, so make sure you tune in tomorrow at 10 a.m. also. And then we'll wrap things up on Sunday with our post-race show. Obviously, on Saturday, you need to do one thing, that is just stay glued to the Mountain Outpost YouTube channel. So actually, make sure after today's show or while we're broadcasting here to go subscribe to that channel. Also subscribe to our channel. Look at me, Ryan, I'm remembering to do it. Um, (laughs) So we'll do it today, we'll do it Friday morning and then all day Saturday, you'll be on the Mountain Outpost YouTube channel watching the full broadcast. And then Sunday we'll be back here doing our post-race show. We will not do that live because we don't wanna compete with the 60K broadcast the Mountain Outpost we'll be doing. But that's the agenda. Um, So today we'll cover The course, we have two finishers here. We're gonna cover the very fickle, unpredictable weather that may impact the course. We'll talk about some of the storylines. We'll talk about the men's and women's fields and then we'll probably sign off. Launching into it, should we begin with some storylines? I think a great place to start is just like the significance of Black Canyon in the American trail running zeitgeist and how far it's come in the last couple of years. You want to get us started? Yeah, I mean, you were, we were talking before we went live about how this is the 11th running of the race, and in the first edition of the race, there were 42 finishers 
in the 100K. There are over a thousand starters in the 100K this this go around, which is massive growth. It's also been a feature of the Golden Trail, or not the Golden Trail, sorry, the Golden Ticket um, hunt for particularly Americans over the last couple of years. Um, and I think that this year being given an extra, a bonus, a super golden ticket event has been, I don't know, elevates it even higher in the season outlook in the build to Western states, in particular with Bandera not being on the golden ticket kind of preview tour into the big dance in June. Matt, you have anything to add? I mean, obviously you've won this race in the past. It's matured a lot, even in the few years since you competed here. What is it? Like, what do you think about Black Canyon in terms of where it is positioned and especially the American trail running calendar? Yeah, it's so cool. It, it's it's turning out to be like kind of the, the classic American trail race of the year outside of Western states for, yeah. for the elite level, um, you know, group. And I think, you know, the really cool thing is, is looking at the depth on the men's and women's side compared to when I ran it just, you know, what, four or five years ago, um, it's completely different. I think you have, I mean... I, I can look on the list and see somebody who has a, the potential to win this race and they're like 50 down on the list. Yeah. It's crazy. And so, uh, as a fan, that is awesome. That's so fun to follow. And that's, that's what I'm most stoked about. Yeah. And it makes for super exciting racing too. Yes. We've always talked about that where, you know, you really need a volume of highly competitive runners to be on the start list and then make it to the start line and then make it past the halfway mark. And when that happens, we get these really tight races that can come down to the final miles of the event. We saw that last year um, here with very exciting racing on both the men's and women's side. And we're going to see that here again this year, um, I think in a really big way. Yeah. And I think it's testament just to the quality of the race organization. Maybe say a few words about Aerovipa too. I know you guys have both done a couple of the yeah. racing events. Corinne, you, you work closely with them on the media side too. What do you want to say about the Aerovipa team? I mean, I think we've all championed Jamil for a long time and it's, it's grown even beyond Jamil. He's a visionary, I think in the sport, but if you look to his whole team that he's assembled, it's really, it's really, really cool. We got to do the broadcast from HQ last year for a little yeah. bit before setting up at the finish line for post-race interviews. And it's just like the community they've built here in Arizona and Colorado, but the community they've like helped to foster in not even just like, like us Western trail racing, but us trail racing, I think is very palpable yeah. and it's like, it feels authentic and it feels homey and yet it's high quality. It's exciting. It's a bucket list race for many of my athletes who are not racing for a golden ticket, who are not professionals. They want to be here. They want to, you know, it's a great early season race for folks. And Air Vipa seems to do that year round. And then they got even classier this year by offering to pay for the entries for the golden ticket yep. athletes who got to, who get to claim those uh, three, three tickets on the men's side, three tickets on the women's side this weekend. And that's a super class act move. Yeah. Awesome move. And yeah, I would echo everything that you say. And while we're on the subject of, you know, talking about the significance of Black Canyon, I think it's relevant to say too that it's almost become the default season opener in a lot of ways. I mean, for me all week, I just feel like, all right, the racing season starts now, not only for everybody who's going to be stepping to the start line, but also for free trail and everything that we do, sort of it's going to be a busy year starting now in February, all the way through the end of 2024. Yeah, I just booked like four trips and yeah. I was like, oh, I thought I was like hanging out at home and I had to tell my husband, I was like, okay, so I'm gone this weekend yeah. and then in two weeks I'm gone again and then yeah. 
10 days later, I'm gone again. It's, it truly is like the race season is, is kicking off. Yep. Heck yeah. Couldn't be more excited for it. And before we move off this subject, I pulled a cool thing off the Era Viper, uh, the Black Canyon website that I think will entertain or interest our audience here, just about the significance of the trail itself. I always love to learn a little bit more about the, the geography and the trail and the history of the place where these races are held. And what it said is, this historic trail of national significance following a route used since the times of prehistoric Native American travelers and traders. The Department of the Interior officially established the route as a livestock driveway in 1919. That's 105 years ago, when it was used for wool growers from the Phoenix area to herd sheep to and from their summer ranges in the Bradshaw and Mingus Mountains. So... Fun facts for our viewers here today. We've mentioned the golden tickets a couple of times. We can't go any further without clarifying what we mean by golden ticket and why this race is a little bit different from the other ones that are in the golden ticket calendar here in 2024. Once you I was going to say, Matt, as a person who has actually gotten a golden ticket, maybe you're the perfect person to explain what's going on this weekend. Yeah, exactly. So lots on the line. Uh, I mean, Black Canyon, like you said, is kind of... you know, we're starting the, the American trail racing season here. And, um, and this particular race, we're going three deep with the golden tickets and a golden ticket. Basically what that means is if, if you're first or second or third in this particular race, um, in the men's and women's side, you get an automatic entry into Western States. And, um, like Corinne just mentioned, um, these athletes are lucky enough to get that entry paid for by your Vipa, which is so cool. And so there's a little bit more incentive to uh, do well at this particular one. Um, so yeah, a lot, lots on the line, which means, um, cool storylines, big time racing. Uh, everybody's coming out here to do it. That's why I think we have so much depth and, um, it'll be interesting to see, but, um, I think one interesting thing about this race is that it goes three deep. Most golden tickets go too deep. Um, I think, I don't know if, what the reasoning is behind this, maybe because it's such a deep field year after year. Um, but because of that, we're also going all the way down to six. If, maybe you could explain this a little bit better. If yeah. somebody who already has a golden ticket or an entry into Western States is in that top three, um, then it will roll down to six. If I have that correct. <laughs> yeah. And then there's people too in this field and in previous fields who might not be ready to step up to that hundred mile distance, but they want to be in a competitive hundred K I've done. Uh, Keely and I have done that a yeah. bunch being like, just want to be at where the races are, but not be ready for that golden ticket. And there's definitely some people in this field who are also in that boat who currently really? okay. say, we'll get who currently say they don't want a ticket, but I wonder what will happen okay. if they got one. Okay. This is great. We'll tease but, that. For but later. yes. So there's reasons why the ticket might roll down. They already are. They're already in Western States or they, for whatever reason, don't want or need that ticket. Normally it can roll to fifth, but it can roll as far as sixth for this race. And then generally if that ticket is not claimed, it rolls to the wait list, which was established just a couple of years ago with Western States, which is actually how I got in to the race in 2018. I was sitting on the wait list. Lake Sonoma happened. The tickets rolled, one ticket rolled out of the women's top five. And I happened to be the next person on the wait list. So I... I joke that I got my golden ticket into Western States that year. So to add a little bit of internal color here, as we were considering what the golden ticket races were going to be here in 2024, there was no debate whether Black Canyon would be a golden ticket, but we were sort of wondering if we should add another race. And between conversations with, you know, people like Topher Gaylord and Craig Thornley and stuff, we just came to the decision, you know, Harkening back to what we were just saying about Aravipa, we know they're going to put on a good race. We know they're going to put on a great live stream. If we give them three tickets instead of two, it'll probably juice the competitiveness, which will only turn into something that's net beneficial for our whole community. And there's a lot of incentive 
not even incentive. There's a lot of um, internal rumblings within like the pro Peloton, let's say, in which we would like our races, instead of adding more races to a series, actually consolidating our racing makes things more competitive, which is what we want, which is what which is what the brands want. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was a super smart move because even if someone doesn't want a golden ticket or even if someone ends up outside the golden ticket hunt, performing well here matters personally and matters to the brands. And yeah. I think that that is, um, was very insightful of you and the Western States board to, to juice the competition here. Juice the competition. On that subject, I want to talk about the world trail majors here in a second, but on that subject of juicing the competition, fantasy.freetrail.com. We're picking 10 deep this year. The top three predictors are going to get sick prizes, a head to toe kit from Hoka for the winner, a pair of shoes for second and third place. So make sure you go to fantasy.freetrail.com, pick 10 deep, and then come back for tomorrow's prediction show. You may want to adjust your ballot a little bit once you hear the winning ballot from me and a couple of other uh, (laughs) respectable ballots from Corinne and Matt Daniels. But again, go get your fantasy picks in for a chance to win some cool prizes. World Trail Majors. Matt, you want to explain a little bit about this? Gosh, actually. We believe in you. It's very new to me. Um, Yeah, so... I guess Black Canyon is now a World Trail Major, um, or World Trail Majors is a new, it's kind of a new event. It's kind of, I guess it was a thing a few years ago, now it's kind of come back. Um, actually, honestly, you'd probably be better at explaining it to me because I was just talking to Corinne about this when I got here. Um, I'm still kind of learning a little bit about it. Yeah, well, <laughs> so, it is confusing, yeah. <laughs> and that's sort of part of Corinne's point about the sport being fragmented in a lot of ways, and I think the World Trail Majors is trying to do basically what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, the idea, too, was... To have a basically like a brand agnostic, um, but not distant agnostic series that wasn't hemmed under one big umbrella. It wasn't necessarily like an anti-UTMB move, but it was like an alternative move. And there are now, they just announced one new, an- another new race. So we're up to eight, ten, ten mm-hmm. up to 10. We're growing. Um, but essentially this was announced in the fall. This is the second race of the series. The first one was the Hong Kong hundred K in January, trans grand Canaria is right around the corner, et cetera. So it's pretty, uh, Q1, Q2 heavy, um, with now a race, um, in the Pyrenees in France in late August and UTCT in November being the tail end of the world trail majors. And then what they've done is they also um, have Mount UTMF, which is amazing Madeira and Madeira. So a bunch of Island racing plus, um, a race in the UK, South Downs way, South Downs way, which looks amazing, really fast. I think it's, is it July or early June? Well, you don't know. Something like that. <laughs> but essentially very Q1, Q2 heavy, but basically you have to do two races in the series as a professional to be eligible for prize money. There is a, a small prize purse up for grabs this year. And we hope to see kind of the initiative around this. Everyone is on the same page. Everyone is on the same tier from a race director and race event standpoint. And there isn't like a finale, a championship. It is a culminative event series yeah. as opposed to like setting one race above the others, which I think is, was needed in the sport. They're all such high quality events, you know, yeah. the Hong Kong hundred K black Canyon, UTMF, Madeira, Cape town, South Downs way. Like these are name brand races 
that are now coming together in a collaborative way to sort of yeah. lift everybody up. And you were saying something earlier, going back to Jamil and their team about something that's going to be cool that's oh, happening yeah. with their broadcast. Why don't you fill the audience you, in with that? Yeah. So we've been talking behind the scenes a little bit. Um, we wanted to elevate the live broadcast that currently exists or don't exist yet for all the races that are part of the world trail majors. Um, and so something that's brand new this year and will hopefully grow is that the black Canyon live stream will also be streamed this year by the folks at Mount Fuji hundred in Japanese. So we will be streaming in English here worldwide. Um, but we will also be streaming in Japanese this year with the help of the folks over at the Mount Fuji hundred, which I think is really, really cool. And we've already been putting vibes out being like, Hey, do we have a Spanish channel for next year set up? Like we can do this. So, so cool. All right. So I want, next I want to talk about the weather and the course. I think we should talk about the weather first because then we'll talk about how it impacts the course. Ryan and I arrived last night. I think you did also. Matt arrived today. We've had it's bits now of, sunny. Yeah, we've That's had beautiful. some bits of sun. <laughs> when I ran this morning, it was sort of partly cloudy. I was like, it doesn't feel like it's going to rain today. Sure enough, deluge came midday today. So talk about the weather, the weather forecast, and then we'll get to how it might impact uh, the race and the course. Yeah. Um, I mean, so last I, I checked, it looked like the high was going to be in the forties. I don't know if that's changed over the last 24 hours. I mean, that's prime yeah. running conditions, forties for a hundred K come on. Uh, and if it's, if it remains overcast, I mean, that's going to be perfect. Now, the thing about Black Canyon is if it does rain a lot and the course gets sloppy, um, up high at the start, it can be that cake mud, which is no fun. Um, if the river gets flowing too much, that can be too high for crossing. And we're looking at uh, maybe an alternate course, but right now I think things are kind of holding okay. And it's looking like it's going to be almost perfect conditions. Of course that could change, you know, we are in the desert. So, um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Karen? Yeah, I think it's going to be colder than anticipated. Like if we look at the long range forecast, um, next weekend would be sunny and 70, um, at black Canyon city. So even hotter, a little bit further South than that, yeah. but a cool start generally speaking, but I, where it could be quite cold at the start. It was cold at the start last year. And this year I think it's going to be colder. There's a little bit of rain in the forecast, but not a lot. Like I'm from the Pacific Northwest at this point, And I'm like, Ugh, if you don't have more than a half inch of rain in your day, your yeah. forecast for the day. It's not a rainstorm, but could be a little bit wet out there, but I think overwhelmingly just cooler temps mm -hmm. and then potentially a very muddy first half of the race. And when water moves through this terrain, it can like a trail that maybe has been pretty firm. Like you've got new rocks there. Like you run through all of these, um, you know, water runoff paths from start to finish basically. Yeah. And it's like every single one of those could change a little bit with the rain. And so I think that while historically the front half of the course has been much faster, it's net downhill. We joke that people will PR their 50 Ks in it, et cetera. If it is in fact as muddy as it could be on that front half of the course, it's not going to be quite as easy going. And then the back half of the course I think is a bit a bit rockier and those, it might be a bit looser because of the recent rainfall. And so I wonder a little bit while the temperatures are setting up to be absolutely perfect for a very fast time, the conditions underfoot might not be as giving. I, I view this as a super unpredictable now, because as you both said, the temperatures and the overcast nature of it would portend a very fast race. But a start line in the low 20s, which is what they're predicting for Mayer, which is the start line, we should say it's a point-to-point -point race. They start about 4,000 feet of altitude before making their way 
down to near sea level here, closer to the Phoenix area. But up there at the higher elevations, if it's in the 20s, and they're even predicting some snow like throughout this afternoon and into the evening. So there could be, you know, some snow on the ground or at least some lingering ice and moisture on the trail with 20 degree weather. That's like not fast conditions. And, you know, even if it does warm up, it won't warm up until they're four or five hours into the race. So it, it feels to me like it's a super unpredictable thing. And obviously it could impact the course if we do see a lot more moisture just in terms of rerouting and turnaround, Matt, I know you've had experience with that. I don't know if you want to tell the audience a little bit about, you know, why reroutes might have to occur even with just mild precipitation, because it, it seems like it's a, a real possibility this year. Yeah. So I ran in 2019 and, um, I think we, we didn't find out until about the morning of the race that it was going to be a reroute. And the reason was, is the river rose really quickly overnight. Um, and so basically they just, they said, we're going to have to go down to the river and turn around and do an out and back and then finish in Black Canyon City. And so what that said was we're going to be on a lot of really runnable trail, um, some road section. I think we ended up having like four or six miles on the road, which played to guys like me with some yeah, like yeah. speed. And um, yeah, and we got to avoid the more kind of technical rockier section with, with some vert. And so um, that changes the dynamics totally, you know, if that's the case. Um, yeah, I guess a lot of... Um, the big question mark will be like, you know, how high does the river rise over overnight to, over the next two nights? And then, um, how much rain, yeah. How much more rain do we get? If it, if we don't get any more rain, I think conditions are about perfect, but we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> yeah. We were talking earlier about how Western States this year or this past year rather was super snowy in the high country. And we're like, Oh, it's not a record, not a record setting year. No one's going to break the course <laughs> record. It's so slow for the first 50 K it's all under snow, but we had cool temps. And, you know, that while, while the men's record did not go down, like the women, you know, the women blew apart the course record and 10th place ran in 1830. Like it's, so it's like one of those things where it's like, you have to see how it balances out. Yep. There might be a section that's a little bit, you know, might mean that runners need to be a little bit more cognizant of like burning matches early because it's net downhill and the conditions should be good for running. But if it's a little bit slippery, right, you just don't, don't want to roll an ankle early. You don't want to fall. I, I, ate it pretty bad early in this race with Magda, um, in 2020, yeah. but like you're running in a line of people and like someone stutters and you just all fall down basically. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, you, you have to be cognizant of like keeping it rubber side down maybe and conserving a little bit of energy because if, if it is overcast, like the back half of the course might not be as much of a chew, chew you up and spit you out as it has historically yep. been. Yeah. So that's what I was going to say is there's been a lot of, I'm sure that the top contenders in this weekend's race who have been doing their sauna work, anticipating the warm Arizona sunshine here in February when they're probably coming from places like Boulder or the Pacific Northwest, where it's going to be a lot colder, a lot more precipitation. So they're going to be coming down here and not going to be confronting those hot conditions. Typically, we would associate hot conditions with more attrition, especially when we see the density of competition that's, you know, uh, aggregating here at Black Canyon. And so cooler temps, potentially wet underfoot, super crazy competitive field. We could see crazy fast times, or if there's snow, mud, whatever, it could be a strength and a battle of attrition. And uh, that's why we line up. That's why we race. It's going to be an exciting one either way. So talking more specifically about the course, we have two finishers here on the couch, 
Corinne did it in 2020. Again, Matt was a champion in 2019. So you guys are the experts here. Matt, why don't you open it up? Talk about like what makes Black Canyon the course unique and what makes it challenging. Yeah. So like I said, the course was, uh, it was quite a bit different the year I ran it. Um, but I still got to experience a lot of the the first half of the, of the course. And it is, it is a very unique course. I mean, you know, I guess probably the first 20 or 22 miles is a pretty big net downhill. Um, I mean, there's, it's, you know, there's a lot of rollers, a lot of turns. I mean, it's a mountain biking trail, but, uh, at the end of the day, it's, it's pretty net downhill, which allows for really fast first 50 K and that can be the problem for a lot of people. And it can also be the benefit for a lot of people. Um, and so this is a, a course where you kind of got to like stick your nose in it. Um, but you also got to be a little bit patient and that, you know, that can determine the outcome, um, the outcome of the race. And so, uh, what makes this one unique though, is, um, is that it is a point to point course. And so you don't really have any opportunity to kind of like see your competition out. I mean, I guess the, we are in the desert. You can see quite a, quite a far ahead and that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, there's just, there's a lot of weird variables that you don't really have in most trail races that, that you have here. And it's kind of just, um, yeah, foot down on the gas the whole time and, hoping for a good outcome sort of thing. Yeah. I, mean, I want to have you add something, but Ryan, if you don't mind at pulling up the, the graphic of the course profile yeah. real quick to just give uh, some context to the listeners. Go ahead, Corinne. I'd love to hear your input. Yeah. And I would just say that like you can get ahead of yourself in those first, mm-hmm. the first 50 K, but I think it's also, it's just twofold. The back half of the course has, has the climbing has most of the climbing that exists out there, including kind of two big climbs that come back to back, but they are runnable climbs. And so if you are suffering and you are not running, you are losing time just like exponentially to the people around you. But that being said, it's one of those things where it's like, if maybe you didn't feel great for the first 50 K, but you're still in it and you can start putting it together on the back half. There generally are people that are, that have messed up and, yeah. uh, and are falling apart. So we'll see kind of, you know, attrition is definitely changing in the elite field. Um, even in the last three years, but I will say that the back, the back half is rockier. The back half is hillier. I distinctly remember, I don't know, kicking my like a thousandth rock of the day and like just completely losing it at one point. Cause I was so sick of like tripping on stuff. Uh, Keely last year was being paced in by good friend, Grayson Murphy. And apparently Grayson was just running behind her yelling, lift your feet up because Keely kept tripping on things and like falling down because she wasn't lifting her feet over the rocks on the back half of the course. And so it it really is like, it's, I wouldn't call, I wouldn't describe it as technical, but it's the first half. I think you can, you can find a rhythm in really smoothly. Like the trail rolls Mm. really nicely in the back half of the race. You have to be picking a line a little bit more. You have to be thinking and lifting your feet up and staying in it a bit more. You can't, you can't like, stop thinking because you will fall down. So talking a little bit about the race dynamic now, can you pull up the other graphic that shows Anthony Costales' splits? I was looking at, again, Anthony Costales was our 2023 champion, edging out Tom Evans last year. One of the great performances of last season, shattering the established course record on the original course. And you'll see as you look at Anthony's splits here from the early miles of the race, they're running like low six minute pace. They're out of mayor, as you said, sort of a rolling 
couple miles of start and then sort of a net downhill trajectory on smoother trails. And I recall, Corinne, you and I being in the broadcast booth and as they went through the Gloriana Mine Aid Station, which is mile 12 or so, there were 38 men underneath course record pace last and year. And that, that trended like that for a long time. Yeah. Like there was a pack. We, we couldn't both it, people in the field helping us call the runners and in studio with like six people staring at monitors, we could not ID people fast enough because they were coming through in a full on pack, yeah. which is, which is, I would say historically unusual yeah. for us trail running. So maybe a question to both of you before we move off this, like if you think about the fields that are assembling tomorrow, which again is historically dense, and we're going to have some statistics to back that up. Thanks to Travis Longcar. We'll probably share those in tomorrow's live stream, where would you say is like the crux? Like where does the separation happen? What I recall last year is that Tom and Anthony sort of separated a little bit around Black Canyon City. It sort of became a two man race before Anthony ended up pulling away from Tom. But just for the audience here, like what would you consider sort of the crux moment in the race or on the course? Yeah, I think I think there's two. Um, the, the early on one would be there's a climb after Bumblebee, mm -hmm. uh, and that will kind of separate mile 20 or so. Yeah. Mile 20, 20, I don't know what it, yeah, around 20 or 24. Um, and, and around there, usually what happens is athletes will take their time in the aid station or they'll zip right through it. And then there's a climb pretty much right out of that aid station. That's where Cole got like accident, an accidental gap on yes, people, right? Yes. Cause he kind of just mm -hmm. like flew through that aid station. Yeah, yeah. And so what happens is they're, you know, people get, get out ahead and then some people will, you know, miss the jump on, you know, getting out of the aid station. And so they'll run that climb too hard to try and catch back up. And then you get to Black Canyon City and you just see every, everything unfold. Uh, the people that probably ran that climb a little bit too hard to, to catch back up to the group or the people that didn't get out fast enough, um, will end up starting to have problems around that 50 K mark of Black Canyon City. And I think that that's where the real race kind of begins is this is one race where literally at halfway, it, it tends to kind of, you start to see like who the real players are going to be. Yep. Um, that was a little bit, I think Cole Watson last year proved me wrong on that, that statement right there. I think, um, he ended up like really having a, a really solid back half uh, after coming, you know, having some issues at Black Canyon city, but yeah. Yeah. yeah and he had a great comeback last yeah. year. Cole. And that's historically where you see your crew. It's been a great, it's been a great like crude aid station where people come in. They, they, if they have not been historically, if they've not been cooling themselves off at that point, they're going to be in there looking for ice, et cetera, even though it's still pretty early, you know, it's before midday. Um, this year that should not be a problem, but this year they actually won't be crewing at Black Canyon City. They'll be crewing before that at the Deep Canyon Ranch. Yep. Um, and so that will actually be a little bit interesting because it will spread out the aid stations a little bit, not the aid stations themselves, but the crew access aid stations a little bit. And so they will see, instead of seeing their crew around mile 35, they end up seeing them around mile 30, 31. Mm -hmm. And so I wonder, you know, it's, it's, they're still getting the same amount of aid, but what that does mentally is that kind of chunks that aid station out a little bit differently. And so I wonder this year, what we'll see happen in that deep Canyon ranch area versus black Canyon city. Yep. And if we'll see moves being made just a couple miles earlier, based on what happens in that crude aid station. Yeah. And I think that's such an important thing for our viewers and listeners to consider as they watch the broadcast on Saturday is just how critical those crude aid stations are now, especially for the professional athletes. And I think that Deep Canyon Ranch moment is going to be really important in the same way that Black Canyon City had historically been important. And just to clarify that for our viewing audience, 
Black Canyon City, there's still an aid station there, but there is no longer crew access available at that aid station. The crew is gonna be a few miles earlier at Deep Canyon Ranch. And that's where I think we're gonna to start to see the real contenders separate themselves from the field in the same way that Anthony and Tom did last year. It makes me also, you know, hearkening back to what we were just talking about with the broadcast, you know, and our viewing audience watching it on Saturday. I think this will be one of, if not the biggest live stream broadcasts of a race outside of a Western States or a UTMB in history. I think I'd love to, to our data scientists in the, in the audience here, Nick Handel or Travis, if you're watching, uh, would love to get some data on the viewership of this year's race and how it compares to historical black canyons and, you know, races like Western States and UTMB. This is the fourth year they're doing it here. Yeah. And what's really cool, I think about the live broadcast is not only will we, will we be calling the, um, I'll be like, we're, I'll be working on the team Saturday um, as we call the race, but we've got a number of teams kind of tagging in and tagging out for it. And so they will be running a live broadcast from 30 minutes ahead of the race start tomorrow or Saturday morning. And then it goes, it's a 20 hour cutoff for the hundred K. Um, I think it'd be under 17 hours to get that uh, your ticket for the lottery for Western States. But that means that we've got people on the live broadcast from, you know, 11 PM to 4 AM pulling that night shift to welcome in, you know, the golden hour finishers of the hundred K, which I think is, I think is really, really cool. And I don't, and some of the, some races like Western States do that really well, but I think oftentimes, you know, the camera shut off once the third woman's come through. Yeah. And so to have a dedicated crew in there, including like Scott Trayer and Callie Vincent and, and AJW, they're pulling the graveyard, yeah, shift, pulling the graveyard shift and what a great, <laughs> and, and they've like, they've collected data from, all the runners in the race so that we've got names and stories and who's out there crewing them and all that information that we can actually hopefully give back to the, the mid pack and the back of the pack as they also try to get their black Canyon hundred K finish. And so I think, you know, once again, Aravipa going not above and beyond, but like just continuing to step up the game for what a live broadcast can and should be. Yeah. Well said, Karan. Obviously we've been talking only about the front of the pack and we're going to be talking about them in very specific detail here soon, but it is all about the heart and soul of the community, the middle and the back of the pack. So just to put a bow on the course, uh, you know, uh, commentary here, just a hundred kilometers. So just under 61 miles. This again, according to Anthony Casales' Strava, only 5,000 feet of climbing. A lot of that climbing just comes in these micro up and downs. What I've heard, and you guys can confirm or deny, but one of the things that makes the course difficult, not only is, can there be loose rock, but it's just incessantly uppy, downy, twisty, turny. And so you can't just sort of like settle into a straight line groove, find your rhythm and just rip necessarily. So just to add a little bit of extra detail. Oh, there. I mean, you'll be running the course and you like, will see a person in front of you, but you don't realize that you actually have to like hang it around a bend a quarter mile that way. And then come back around the bend to meet back up where you just saw that person. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's uh, it's very wiggly out there and, but it's beautiful. Lots of beautiful, beautiful wiggles. Beautiful. So we're going to talk about the field here in just a second, but before we do a big thank you to our sponsor Hoka, who is bringing all of our race coverage this weekend, go watch the John Ray video that our guy Ryan thrower made on a tight deadline. Our dude, he wasn't even stressed about it and it turned out great. Matt Daniels is in the video helping to uh, share some suffering with his good buddy, Getting John worked. Ray on the track. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
one mile threshold and then 10 by 200, 300, and then another threshold at the end. It's a sick video. Go check it out. We got John Ray, Hayden Hawks, Heather Jackson, probably some other Hoka athletes in the mix too. Obviously they're great sponsors of the whole golden ticket uh, series as well as Western States. And uh, we do appreciate their help with our coverage here this weekend. Obviously, Hoka.com is where you can check out all their great products. Apparently, new Tecton coming out. Speed Goat getting updated soon. I saw they dropped the new Super Shoe around the Olympic trials last weekend, too. So a big thank you to Hoka for their support. And, of course, they are supporting Fantasy also. Getting into the fields now, I want to start with the men, and I specifically want to start with the men because I want you two to give us some uh, sort of background info, some sort of insider knowledge on two of the characters that I'm personally very excited to watch race this weekend. Corinne, your athlete, Eric LaPuma, and Matt Daniels, your good buddy, somebody who you're helping to crew and pace on Saturday, Adam Mary. We can start with you, Corinne. Tell us about Eric LaPuma, because as I said in our newsletter, I just have a feeling about this guy. I think we all are sitting there going, come on, Eric, Eric, hopefully you're at Barnes and Noble right now and not watching this. Um, I'm really excited for Eric to be coming out of winter into hopefully what is a very strong race performance for him. He's so fit and so fast and trains through the absolute worst weather. I think besides maybe like the folks up in Fairbanks or something, but like, you know, he's not doing fun training right now. Like he's pulling these like big weeks in like snowy, sloppy dirt road, you know, Vermont back road, like runs and like does it with a smile. I'm pretty sure most of the time. Um, and it was really cool. We like had some success this past year. Like we had some things that went really, really well in 2023. And we had some things that like we came back to the drawing board for afterwards. And one thing that we discussed kind of finishing off last season was that this guy can just put in the work week after week after week. If it goes unchecked, we'll both forget about it and he'll be pulling like 115 miles, you know, eight, 10 weeks in a row mm -hmm. and realize that we really needed to do a, a very focused job of like setting up recovery blocks for him where we just like pull back a little bit and give him, give him a week where it's like, no, we're gonna take an extra rest day or we're gonna like really cut the volume down and we're not gonna double or we're just like, we're minimizing things a little bit because we didn't do that as intentionally this past year. and the dude just put the most ridiculous summer training block together and we came out a little bit toasty yeah. at the end of the season. And so I'm really hopeful that, you know, he put in a bunch of quality work kind of building, building through the holidays, building into the January timeframe, but did take some like, yeah, some concerted rest where someone else might've pushed one more week be, or, you know, just pushed through until taper time. We actually, you know, built him up for three or four weeks, took a week, down and then allowed him to do two like more full like full training weeks before we actually hit a taper and so i don't know i'm just talk about the world's nicest nicest former skateboarder i feel like he has a super high ceiling and i don't know i don't know him super well personally <laughs> but back-to-back -back seventh place finishes at the long trail world championships racing in thailand on a crazy course and in the alps sort of proof that he has versatility in the courses that he can perform at a world-class level on while training on the East Coast when most of his competition lives in the Mountain West and Pacific Northwest and stuff. Totally. And he can also pull like just insanely fast, like road 50K times, which is disgusting. He's still young too, isn't he? He's yep. like late 20s. Yep. And so it's just like, there's a huge, there's a high ceiling there. I don't think we've 
I, I think we all can see how talented he is and see how capable he is. And it's just about, you know, racing, ultra racing is hard. You know, it's about putting together all the pieces, some of which is luck. Like a lot of it is practice and skill and determination and knowing how to work the problems when they arise. But you can come in perfectly tuned. We actually had a conversation with Abby Hall, our Adidas teammate, about this after Madeira last year. She came into that race perfectly tuned. And just like you're still asking your body to perform in this 24-hour window. Yep right? It's like you're racing. It's not like you're doing an FKT and you can pick whatever day feels the best to you. It's like you are racing on Saturday if you like it or not. And it's like sometimes everything else just isn't on board with that. You're, you're psychologically there. You're physiologically peaked. You're not sick, blah, blah, blah. And it can still be not your day. And so it's like, you know, it's so well said. That's what makes sports so painful and so amazing, right? It's like you train for six months and you come to a day that you've had on the calendar forever. And sometimes you feel ready, you feel perfect, you feel primed and you have a miracle day. Other times this whole six months is perfect. And for whatever reason, that one day, that one day doesn't work. It's not so a good day. I'm, I'm really excited for him. I think he's coming in with all the tools that he needs. I think he's ready to like let one rip out there. And I hope that it's, you know, accompanied by a bunch of other amazing athletes. And so I have no idea what's going to happen and I'll be like stuck at the finish line for much of the day. Stuck. I'm doing commentary. I get a front row seat to the whole thing, but it's like, I will be waiting at the finish line for Eric to finish. Yeah. And I just Should like tell him to race with his earbuds in with the live stream going and you can coach and I can him just, I'll be, I'll be like, come, it'll be like when we were actually crewing uh, or during golden hour at Western States last year, Lucy's dad was about to miss the cutoff, ultimately did miss the cutoff. And Sally McRae was playing the live stream for him. And Topher, Billy and I are on our feet in the commentating box, just saying, come on, come on, Ash, like over and over and over again. And people on the live stream were like, what are they doing? And I'm like, we're yelling at Ash through (laughs) Sally McRae's phone. So it's like, yeah, I I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm excited. I'm excited. You you mentioned that before we get to Adam, you mentioned that LaPuma is sort of, you guys are trying to pressure him into moving to Boulder. He's an honorary (laughs) member of the Boulder boys track club. So say a few words about Eric before we get to Adam. Yeah. Eric's, he's been a real one from the get go. Um, I mean, he, I don't, for a lot of people, I don't know, he lived in Boulder one time. And so he's kind of an honorary, uh, Boulder boy, I guess. And, um, yeah, he's on the East coast now and he's, he's great friends with Adam. I think they were on the world team together in Thailand and, um, the visor boys, the, yeah, yeah, the visor boys. That's right. Um, yeah, we've been trying to, to get him to come, you know, come to Boulder and join the group, but, uh, you know, life circumstances, yeah. but yeah, he's a great dude. Well, you awesome guys have guy. a great group, group including the one and only Adam Mary. And because it's Adam, you have to be one hundo about it. That's right. All right. I'll be a hundo. (laughs) I know Adam, I know Adam's watching this. (laughs) Give the four one one on, on Adam Mary, what makes him a unique special athlete, how you plan to assist him on his journey out there on Saturday. Yeah. So I, um, I'm lucky enough to get to, to crew and hopefully pace him, uh, those last few miles, uh, into the finish this weekend. But yeah, Adam's, uh, he's probably one of my best friends, a Boulder boy. And, um, kind of, it's been, it's been a wild ride. And Adam's, uh, he's, when he made, he's the type of guy, like when he puts his mind to something, it's, he's just not going to stop until it's accomplished. And, um, you know, we got to a point last year where he got, he got into States. He qualified, uh, with the golden ticket at at the Canyons hundred K and, uh, got to his goal of racing Western States. And then it was like, okay, that wasn't good enough. And so, uh, now, you know, trying to get back in and get that golden ticket again this weekend. But, um, 
yeah, you know, there is life, life yeah. things, you know, Adam's a new dad and he's got a new job. And, um, like he says, keep it real hundo. <laughs> so I'm going to just tell you like his training hasn't been ideal, but the yeah. thing is, is about Adam is, um, he's got four or five years of just mega training in the bank that he's just yeah. been putting in some incredible workouts and tons of mileage and all that stuck with him. And I think finally having a little bit of rest and downtime from, from training really hard, did him some good because the workouts he has been doing, um, and the runs we've all been on together have just been kind of like mind boggling. It's Heck like, yeah. how are you doing this right now? So, um, yeah, I think it's an ultra race and like, like Corinne was saying with Eric, like who knows what the outcome will yeah. be. Um, but I know he's really excited and feeling good and pumped to be out here. And he's, he's run this race, I think yeah. two other times. And so, um, it'll be good to, yeah, hopefully nail it. Really? This, this is his third time? Third time. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. What I was thinking about with Adam is that if this does turn into a mud slop fest that it really challenges people and produces some attrition, Adam's the perfect athlete to take advantage of those types of conditions and run himself into golden ticket contention, potentially even win here. So big shout out to both Eric LaPuma and Adam Mary. We can't spend all this time on every single athlete. I wish we could. <laughs> what I'll do now is I'll just list out those who I view as some of the favorites. You guys can provide any color, or agree or disagree about my characterization as, as these sort of being the collection of what our audience could consider the favorites on Saturday. I wrote down, Outside of LaPuma and Adam, John Ray, Tim Tollefson, Ryan Montgomery, Hayden Hawks, Cole Watson. Am I right? Am I wrong? Do you guys have specific commentary on any of those characters? I mean, I think what's interesting is that two of those guys don't need golden tickets, yep. which is dangerous because they are three, two, two, two. of those guys. Um, Cole, no, three. No, three, Cole, Cole, John, and... Um, my, my brain's Ryan not working. Montgomery. Ryan Montgomery. There we go. Um, that's dangerous because they don't have to race to anyone else's tactics. They can go for the course record. They can be on a training run. They can be, you know, throwing down as hard as humanly possible. Um, that that's dangerous. And I think that all the guys going in will, will know that the, those three in particular, like if, you know, if one gets away, type of thing, like doing the math. Yep. There's going to be some, yep. there's going to be some public math going on on Saturday for, for placements. And I think that that is interesting though. Um, that definitely flavors a race like this a little bit differently from a tactics point of view. Yep. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think one person that is kind of in the back of my mind that I, I'm, I'm curious to see how he'll do. He hadn't had a, hadn't had, um, I think the races that he's wanted over the last year or two, but Jared Hazen, it's like when the guy's on, Best in the world. See, I wrote his name down too. It's so funny. And right? Kirsch, like, right? You got a bunch of Arizona yeah, yeah. Arizona boys. Kirsch, we're claiming him for Seattle now. But right. like, you got some Arizona boys who know this course and know the terrain super, super well. Yeah, and like Hazen had a tough season last year from memory. But the year before, I think he was third at Canyons. He was fourth at Ultra Trail, Trail Cape Town. But it wasn't that long ago. It was 2019 that he ran whatever it was, 1425 at Western States, running the second fastest time ever. The dude is only 28 years old. I checked today. He's been around almost as long as I have. So Jared Hazen, like, it's so funny, like living so close and having experience, obviously, on this trail. Yeah, for the only reason I don't include him in that top bracket is just sort of like the recency bias of it, right? But uh, absolutely, Jared Hazen has proven throughout the course of his career that he can win a race like this. Cole Watson, I think, is somebody we can talk about because last year's 
performance was interesting to me in that he was an early leader. He went for it. He wanted that golden ticket, suffered at Black Canyon, still turning around, brought home fourth place, running just over eight hours, I think. one of the, Still one of the faster times in race history. Then doubled back, got his golden ticket with a victory at Canyons. Comes in, I know, hungry here for this one. So Cole Watson, somebody who I think our viewers and listeners can look out for. Tim Tolfson comes in as sort of like, you're not really sure yeah. what to expect. How, how right? is he an underdog? Yeah. Right. Right. Like he shouldn't be. Right. Um, but yeah, we're com- coming in being like, he's obviously very, very talented. Yeah. And if, if it is the Tim that we know and love and he is fit and ready to go, let it rip. And he wants to get into Western States. There isn't a reason why Tim shouldn't be in that front group mixing it up. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of people forget how fast Tim actually is. I mean, the guy was in the Olympic marathon trials. Um, and yeah, he's got so much leg speed. I think his UTMB performances kind of overshadow what, you know, what he's capable of, of doing on a fast course too. And so I'm, that's another runner I'm really excited to, to watch. Yeah. You know, they say horses for courses, right? And this is the type of course for the horse that is Tim, Tim Tollefson, a net downhill, a lot of fast runnable sections, but also he's very good in technical terrain, so this could be a great reemergence for Tim Tollefson after, uh, you know, that tough UTMB that he went through, but earned a proud finish at the end of the 2023 season. I have some wild cards here that I'd love for you guys to opine on. The wild cards I've identified are Andrew Bumbleau, Nate Jukes, and Hans Troyer, each for sort of different reasons. I guess Bumby and Nate Jukes sort of fall in a similar category being sort of road to trail transplants. Corinne, do you have any commentary on, on I'm that? I'm always excited about a road to trail transplant. I just don't, you don't know what you're going to get. We have them every single year come in. I think Makai Clemens historically would kind of fit into that category too. He is one of the, the DNSs that we'll maybe mention it here in a second. Well, like the, the notables that are not going to start okay. so that you don't come for us in the comments in a little bit. Um, but yeah, I'm always interested to see these, these road to trail athletes come in just because there's, there's exciting potential there, but the trail is a learned, a learned trait, I think. And there are, there are road and track athletes who naturally have it, but we've also seen, I think particularly on the men's side, maybe more than the women's side, like it just taking a little bit longer for guys to come into the sport and nail it Mm -hmm. versus his, at least in the last couple of years, we've seen women come in and just like kind of more easily find that transition point. So I'm always curious to see what that means come come once they jump into the unknown, right? If they've never run a hundred K, if they didn't run, if they've never run further than a marathon or a 50 K, it's always like a, Ooh, I'm curious to see what this looks like. Andrew Bumble has run two ten for the marathon. Put that in context for our audience. Has there ever been somebody with that type of speed to come into a race like black Canyon? Uh, a Greek cool set comes to mind. Um, he's two ten. I think he's two nine, maybe oh, two nine really? high or two ten low. Wow. Um, maybe the only guy to ever come to this race faster than Bumble, but mm. I don't think he had the top end speed like Bumble had 13, 12, five K guy, I believe is what Bumble has run. Um, yeah. <laughs> It's so hard to say. I mean, yeah. it, it's like Corinne was saying, trail running is, is kind of a, you know, it's a learned experience. And um, I know it, it took me, I don't know, a handful of 50Ks and, and a 100K DNF before I was able to, to knock it out of the park here. And so, um, I don't know. The thing about Andrew is uh, the guy is so tough, man. <laughs> like, I mean, he has a grittiness about him that is really hard to, to find on the roads. And, and he has, I mean, there's a reason why he was one of the best American you know, track and road athletes in the history. And so, yeah. um, I'm really anxious to see how the race goes for him. Um, it, 
I think when you start adding variables like like mud, a little bit of technical terrain, a river crossing, and then having to run after being in a freezing cold river, like things like that are just a little bit different. Um, but again, he's a he's a tough dude, and and the thing is, I, after listening to your podcast about him, is he's a competitive guy and he loves to to excel. And so um, I know he's kind of doing this for for fun and for himself now, but I think he's going to get out there and like. You know, can't turn the juice is going to be flowing. Yeah, you can't, can't turn, turn it off. off. So I talked to him on the phone today as he was flying in. He's coming over this afternoon. I'm crewing and pacing for him, which I can't wait for. But he was like, yeah, like, you know, obviously the feeling is the same. I'm familiar with, like, just being excited before competition. But he's like, man, I got so much more stuff this time. <laughs> so there's definitely a learning curve. Nate Jukes is an interesting story, too. We don't need to spend much time on him just to add some stuff that I've learned about him. We were just talking to Hayden Hawks. So Nate Jukes, also a Cedar City, Utah guy, father of five. And what Hayden said is that when they were in college together at Southern Utah University, he called Nate Jukes. He was the guy on the team. Apparently those two guys are training together, Hayden Hawks and Nate Jukes uh, down there in Southern Utah. So again, one of these people like Bumby who's ceiling, you know, he absolutely has the talent to win. It's like, can you execute and win among people who are more familiar with this type of terrain? And then young Hans Troyer, never heard of this guy before Bandera. Just smashed yeah. Jim Walmsley's Bandera time, right? Like really there's, tight turnaround. I there's some confusion about how those yeah. two times compare, but either way, he ran a historically fast time with, yeah. with zero competition yeah. with it, not being a golden ticket year, but Good it point. is, a, it is a very tight turnaround. So very curious to see what kind of legs he comes in with. He'll be on the panel, um, tomorrow afternoon. So I'll get to learn more about him live with you all. Um, so we'll be hosting, hosting elite panels tomorrow at three and three thirty. And yeah. he is one of our guys. So curious to actually in young, super young, 23. Too. Yeah. 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 I've had the opportunity to talk to him a little bit over the, you know, this past week. And he's a hungry, a hungry kid. He loves, he loves the sport of running and it's going to be really cool to see. Uh, I mean, it's such a quick turnaround from yeah. Bandera. So you got to keep that in mind. And, um, it's easier um, when yeah. you're 20. Exactly. Though, that, that? Well, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's another guy. It's gonna be fun to watch. Anyway, you just love to see it, especially with Bumbleo and Nate Jukes of stepping up to hundred K for a first time and jumping in the deepest of deep ends that you could possibly jump in. And it'll be a fun, fun storylines for our audience to follow. We just basically glanced over Hayden Hawks, name, but just briefly, you know, he's returning to competition after injury Hayden, like the epitome of competitiveness, self-belief and desperate to get back into Western States. I expect to see Hayden racing at the front tomorrow. Yeah. And, I, Saturday. Yeah, and so like, just to reiterate, we'll, we'll, we'll likely have Hayden at the front with like a dangerous trio of, of guys who don't need tickets, Ryan Montgomery, um, Cole Watson and John Ray. Like that is a scary yep. quartet of athletes. Yep. And then I don't think there are any guys in the field that I am aware of who wouldn't take the ticket. There's, there's, I know one woman in the women's race who's said that she doesn't want it, but I don't think there are any guys who aren't going to take the ticket if it's offered to them. So that is a very interesting dynamic and a, a, you know, a possibility that they might need that sixth spot mm -hmm. on, uh, on the podium on Saturday to get that golden, that third golden ticket delivered. Yeah. Cool. So we don't need to spend too much more time on the men. We should talk about the women, but go to fantasy.freetrial.com. Look at this start list. It is crazy. It is truly historically deep. And again, we're going to provide objective, measurable statistics. Thanks to Travis Longcar about that on tomorrow's live stream. Some other guys I'm looking at, people like Rod Farvard, Matt Seidel, Chris Myers, Noah Dussault, who quietly finished fifth last year. 
Seattle zone, Noah Dussault. <laughs> Not much international flavor uh, in the men's race. There's w- one exception, uh, Yoshihiko Ishikawa from Japan. Who's raced in the States before. He's, he's a bad water guy. So yep, right, has right. familiarity with running, running for a very long time. This will be a faster race though. Yep. Notable scratches for our audience. Ryan Miller from Texas is out. David Laney is out, but he's coming to the big Alta. So we'll see you there, Dave Laney. Raj Panu, I've heard he's going to be targeting the jackpot 100 miler instead. Justin Grunwald going to uh, Tarawera instead. Elliot Carden from Canada. Not entirely sure why he's not racing, but notable scratches in the men's race. Maybe quickly before we transition to the women, I think that we should do this for both men and women. It's just like, the race dynamics for tomorrow. Like, will it be a pack style race or will it be more reminiscent of the true heart Brown performance in 2022 where he went wire to wire? I'd like to think those days are over, but man, I don't know. (laughs) Um, I, I think it's going to be a pack, but it's going to be, uh, a strung out pack after 50 K. Yeah. I think there's, I think there are only a few guys in particular that I could see taking it out solo Hayden being one of them. Um, but I think that we'll see it. We'll see a solid pack on the men's side for sure. Yeah. Okay. The women. My Let, goodness. Let's let's start with the the one notable scratch because we just did that. That's Anna Cassius uh, from the Bay Area. She's pulled out. I don't know of any others. Yeah, and she had a great. Race. Yeah, not that I'm aware of. And she had a great run at this race last year. Bummed to not see her back this yep. year. But so, in my opinion, and Corinne, I want to toss this to you. It feels like the chase for the golden tickets is open in both races, but it feels super wide open in the women's race. Well, in, in part, it's because we have, well, we also have less, we, we, Heather Jackson's the only person who already has a ticket yep. in this field, which is, which is definitely creates once again, a slightly different dynamic um, when it comes to like, oh, how far is it going to roll down? Right? Like all of a sudden in the men's race, it could roll down pretty far on the women's side. MK Sullivan's the only one who has openly said that she currently is not going to take the ticket okay. in part because she wants to do Z- Zagama. Like that's her, one of her focus races. So I think that that makes that, that in and of itself also makes it really open, but also like will create this battle dynamic in which it's like, Oh, the ticket's not going to roll. Like I have to be one, two, three. Mm. So I think that that is a very interesting, um, interesting way for the field to set up. But there's also like, We've got a pretty level playing field. Who would you consider, like, as I just listed that pack of whatever, six or seven mm-hmm. favorites mm-hmm. in the men's race, is there a similar group that you might identify as the race favorites for Saturday? Yeah, I'd say we've got Heather Jackson, who battled at the front of the race last year to finish second to Keely Henninger. I think you've got Rachel Drake um, not stepping up for the first time to the 100K distance, which I think is important to note. She did run CCC back in 2019. Um, did very well. Yeah, did very well. Also just ran an insane CIM, opted out of Olympic marathon trials to be here instead, is hungry for a golden ticket. She's got to get that race in before she starts residency in July. So uh, <laughs> Western States, hopeful. Um, I think Anne-Marie Madden, whenever she's in a race like this, you've got to count her in a podium or golden ticket position. She's gotten a golden ticket here before I feel like there's a lot of experience heavy folks in this race too. Sarah Beal, I know that's one of Matt's, you know, keeping his eyes on her. Her training's been really, really good and she is incredibly fast over the 100K distance in particular. If she can finish this thing, 
I'd count her in my my top five. Um, then you've got people like Shea Aquilano who proved last year that they've got the speed to hang in this group. Um, super young, but this will be their fourth appearance here at just 23 years old. And she's a runner who's taken two, at least an hour, if not two hours off of her time each year, finishing in over 12 hours the first go around, finishing in just over nine hours last year and like 9.08. So it's like you've got a lot of experience coming back to this race. I think the last person I'd add to that group probably at this point, and then there's still so many heavy hitters, would be Cat Short. And I want to add her to that group in part because she was the one person who went out with Courtney at Bandera last year and stuck it through the first loop, faded a bit in that second lap, but still fought to the finish line. And I think if she's fit and ready coming out of Canadian, but coming out of Hawaii, she's a person that I'd want to keep my eyes on. But just like the men's field, if you're on ultra sign up or if you're on uh, fantasy free trail and you're scrolling, you got to scroll down and down and down to get to the likes of cat Bradley, former Western States champion, Lucy Bartholomew, who's also been on the podium at Western States. It's like, it's not fair that you yeah. have to scroll so far to get to some really big names in our sport. Anything to add there, Matt? Yeah. I think the, the one runner I'm most excited to follow on, on this course particularly is Alison Baca. I mean, yeah. she, her diversity so is insane. It's, it's yeah. So sixth at the world championships last incredible. year. Incredible. Yeah. I um, followed her on Instagram that day. Ryan had some amazing photos. I was like, who, who's this American? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Baca. Is, a, is a mom as well. Yeah. And, um, is a really, really good downhill runner. We'll see what that pans out to in the first 50 K of this race, but it's just like clearly very gritty and really strong. I think she has a pretty decent, Marathon from Colorado. As well. yeah, she, right. I think barely missed making the trial standard. Or, yeah, I think you know, she tried really at CIM and was yeah. really close. Um, but yeah, so yeah. you're just kind of like this field's wild, and and then there's some like wild cards in the mix too. Going back to Rachel Drake, Matt, do you want to add anything on that? Because she ran two thirty five at CIM and it's then incredible. opted not to do the Olympic trials, as Corinne just said. She had a great, I think it was a thirty k in Hong Kong too. Yeah. She's one of these people that's so immensely talented. And really frustratingly talented her focus on as sort of our resident road to trail uh, guy here on the couch. Is there anything you want to add about, about Rachel in particular? I mean, the way she races is always, it's mind boggling to watch. I mean, she's so tough and like CIM, for example, like I think she went through a rough patch and then just came out of it and was still able to run 235. Like that's so hard to do. But um, you know, the big thing with, uh, with Rachel Drake is like, she hasn't run that many hundred Ks. Um, and so I think by bypassing the trials, it shows she loves trail running. She wants it. <laughs> is she what it wants shows it. You. She wants yeah. to get into Western States. And I mean, we were just joking about this. Her husband's Tyler green. Yeah. They've been on a roll together. Like for the last few years, like I, nobody's stopping them. I mean, I don't know. I, I, I have a hard time betting against her for the, in this race. Yeah. She's so and, and she has 2023 champ Keely Henninger as her and crew and pacer and training partner. Like it's just, she's got all the right people said, in her no, corner. I would be surprised if Rachel doesn't get a golden ticket. Rachel, you're not watching this. You're doing something <laughs> important right now and you're not watching this. Harkening back a couple years now too, I recall when it was in the COVID years when they did the Golden Trail World Series mm-hmm. in the Azores, right? When Maud Mathis was untouchable and she and Keely, like, I'm sorry, she and Rachel sort of went toe to toe. Rachel very much held her own. Tara Dower. Talk about Tara. I mean, I would love to see her race less and just 
absolutely destroy us all more um, because she just has this ability to, she's not quite um, Claire Banworth style, but Tara just can't stay off a start line is the vibe I get. And she's so darn good at it. She was definitely, she wanted a golden ticket to Havelina. You knew that going in, you felt that from her out there did not have the day that she had planned, but this is, you know, the, the woman who ran just like the most insane Colorado trail FKT that was supposed to be like a, a two person unsupported FKT attempt that became a one person supported FKT attempt when her part, like her, her, her hiking partner dropped out of it and then like, was like going to turn around to run rabbit and like also has her eyes on the AT for this year. Like she's so good at the longer distances, but she clearly has the chops to put together a shorter, faster race. And so it's like, there's a little bit of unpredictability in my mind, just because in, in my head, I'm like, she's really good at five day events, yeah. but she's also really good. I like, I believe at the shorter stuff too. And I just think that the toughness that she has like cultivated and the psychological flexibility that she has cultivated is a skill in and of itself. And I think that that is a terrifying quality, particularly with the conditions, maybe being a little bit sloppier than average on yeah. Saturday. Not to get ahead of ourselves, but what it reminds me of is Courtney DeWalter in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. Like somebody who can do these multi-day vision quests, but who can also step up to any start line with the best in the world and be a contender to win. Riley Brady, haven't mentioned them yet. Great racing in the desert. Second at Havelina two years ago. Third in 2023. Back here. Yeah. Didn't have the Western States yeah. they had hoped for getting in off that golden ticket. Um, I've kind of had some near misses. And so I'm really excited to see them hopefully put together a really strong performance, clearly very fast. Um, you run fast at Havelina, you've got some durability and some leg speed. And so I think this will set up to be hopefully a really good course for them. And they're, they're really good friends with Meg Morgan, who got a golden ticket here last year. That's one of Riley's main training partners. So hopefully the Boulder Buds, they're, not, they're not the Boulder yeah. Boys, they the Boulder Buds, um, come through and have a podium threat yeah. on their hands. Anything to add there, Matt? I have some uh, other just like international flavor for our viewing audience here. We got Aussies and Canadians, Lucy Bartholomew. I got a bunch of messages about Anna McKenna. Don't know a lot about her. Super, super solid and okay. came up just short at Tarawera and Canyons last year really? for golden tickets. Okay. So this gal wants in wants it. big time. And did she travel or did she travel to race here or is she one of the Aussies who lives in trains? I think traveled to race okay, here. Okay, great. And then you mentioned Amory Madden. I also wanted to, you mentioned Kat Drew too. I did not mention okay, Kat Drew. So but Kat also Drew, Amory Madden, Arden Young are the Canadian Canadians. trio. Yeah. And I think there's actually more. I think Genevieve is also Canadian uh, from Quebec. Right. She'll be on the panel with me tomorrow. Um, so the Canadian flavor is is strong. I think Anne-Marie Madden and Kat, uh, and technically I think Kat Short are probably the, the ones that we're looking to. But Kat Drew, she's gotten a golden ticket in before, did mostly 50Ks last year, needed a break from the 100K, 100-mile scene, crushed a bunch of 50Ks last year and decided that she, she wanted to go back up in distance this year. And she is very, very fast. Let's talk about Kat Bradley here quickly too. You mentioned that you have to scroll a long way to see her name, Western States champion. And she put up a post the other day that I think resonated with all of us. We were talking about it before we went live here today. Matt, anything you want to say about Kat Bradley? I think she's in maybe the best place mentally. She's been in a long time and it's kind of uh, like, let's just go out there, see what happens and rock and roll. And um, I know her training has been pretty good lately. Um, 
she's enjoying life on the island. And I think, I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised to see her have a really good day. Um, Happy runners are fast runners. Exactly. Oh. Yeah. Um, she's just unbelievably talented as well. So I don't know. I, I think she, she can have a really, uh, yeah, really, really good day as well. Yeah. Could be a, uh, it shouldn't be a breakthrough because she broke through. I, I think know, we're, in, we're like, <laughs> we're like winning Western States. Exactly. So that was kind of the breakthrough. Was a breakthrough. But, <laughs> but I, it feels like we've kind of been missing, missing cat Bradley from our lives. And I think that she's been on this quest to kind of find some, like, I don't know, some grounding in her life. And I think that that has finally happened is the vibe I get. Um, and it's so, a reemergence. Yeah, it's not a breakthrough. Totally. But again, going back to what we said earlier, you know, sport can be so beautiful and so cruel. You can win Western states and then you can have five or six years where your health and your body life, are, just life gets yeah, and life just won't cooperate with all these running goals that um, you know, Kat in particular had set for herself. Two more names that we have not mentioned, yep. and we're we're not going to mention a lot of people um, because the the field is you know sixty deep. But kind of talking about coming back, because I've got one person coming back and one wild card coming back. Anime Flynn have not talked about anime. Yep. Um, phenomenal talent as golden ticketed into Western States before with the Lake Sonoma fit, like where their Lake Sonoma performances, mega, mega talented, had hip surgery last year, has been running her way back into fitness, um, has a amazing group of women in particular to train with in Salida. And they just all seem to be just chomping at the bit to find world domination. And I think that akin to Kat Bradley of this, like she's finally in a place where it feels like we're ready to see her like show up again. I think anime Flynn also has that same energy where I think a lot of that was physical and like physical health coming back around. And so I'm, I'm just really excited to see her back on a start line of this caliber. Um, And I hope that she's, she's feeling good. And then the the wild card I wanted to mention, we were talking about her before we went live, is Marcy Klimek, who is not going to be a name that probably anyone knows, um, unless you're from like Oregon, maybe Ashland, Oregon area. Um, I think she's living in Montana right now, but um, I know her from the Bellingham PNW folk. Um, she probably is the fastest marathon PR in the field for women at just over, I think it's 230.48 or something. Wow. Um, mega, mega fast is very new to the trails. She has run like a 404 50 K, but then also won the Waldo hundred K last year outright beating the guys and breaking the women's course record. And while Waldo does not get the shine it once did everyone who's anyone in the past two decades has run Waldo hundred K. So to break a record that has been, been around for a hot second, shows that she's got some chops. This will be a different race environment. Waldo probably felt pretty chill and you're just out in the woods for a while. This will be that on steroids. And so I'm really excited to see that, that road to trail talent come in and, in a name that people aren't going to recognize. I, if you, if you just put her on my radar. I'm going to write that down for my fantasy reconsideration for tomorrow's show. <laughs> anyway, again, it's so deep. You know, we hate to leave any names out. And this is but a subset of what is going to be historically competitive race on Saturday. So big respect to everybody who we've named and especially those who we haven't named. It's going to be one for the ages. Yeah, I just stop scrolling because I just yeah. keep seeing new names yeah, come yeah. up and I'm like, no, no, no. What about the race dynamic question that we ended the men's conversation with? Like, will we start to see more of those 15 deep packs in the beginning of races like Black Canyon? Because last year, we remember Heather Jackson took it out hard. Yeah. And I think that if it was dry, 
I would be like, well, Heather Jackson's going to take it out hard again. Yeah. She's got nothing to lose. She's in Western States already. The woman races aggressively from the front of the field. And I love, I love her for it. Love it. Um, I think with it being a little bit muddier and a little bit colder, that does not play to Heather's strengths. I want her to prove me wrong in so many ways, but I think that that will make it a little bit more challenging for her. Like she even reflected on that after the race last year that she was struggling on the downhills. She was struggling on the rocks, et cetera. So I don't know that she'll be able to do what she did last year. If the front part of the race is so muddy, which I think actually means that we will see an interesting pack form with maybe it might not be 15 deep or 38 deep or whatever we saw at mile 12 of the men's race last year. Cause the women, I think race maybe a little bit more, uh, not reserved, but like with a little bit more tact at times, maturity, maturity yeah. whatever you want to call it, thoughtfulness, maturity, Caution. Uh, pacing, <laughs> intelligence, uh, yeah, yeah, maybe <laughs> intelligence. Um, so I'm not going to entirely blame it on all that, but I do think that I will see a pack at the front, but I don't think it's going to be 15, 20 people deep. I think it's, I think we're going to see a group of like five to 10 break away and we'll see that group probably. I think our winner will come from that group. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I agree. I was yeah. gonna say I think there's probably gonna be like a smaller pack lurking behind, and maybe we get another golden golden ticket out of that second second, second group, kind of just cleaning house. But we'll see. <laughs> How fun is this, guys? I love running. I'm gonna say something controversial, which I did on a live stream with you, also, Corinne, <laughs> and that is that the Olympic marathon trials was cool last weekend, right? This is gonna be so much cooler, and we have the Super Bowl. On Sunday, this is going to be the better best sporting weekend. Is this better than Boston? Is this, this is what's happening? Hashtag better than Boston. Hashtag better than the trials. What a fun way to get race weekend started with the two of you. We're Again, we're going to be back again tomorrow, 10 a.m. Mountain Time, right here in our Airbnb studio. The three of us again, we're going to be doing a last-minute prediction show. We may have updates about the course and the conditions and things like that. So... Do tune in tomorrow at 10 a.m. Also, again, fantasy, fantasy.freetrail.com. Start getting your picks together. We'll reconvene tomorrow and talk a little bit more about that. Big thank you to Hoka for their support of our coverage. Again, go watch Ryan's video about John Ray. Big thank you to Ryan for being behind the scenes today and throughout the weekend. Final words, Matt, Corinne, anything you want to leave the audience with before we see him again tomorrow? Gosh, try and get some sleep. <laughs> I'm yeah, too excited. The hype, the hype is real. I just bought a new book so that I'll hopefully sleep tonight. But yeah, we'll, we'll see you guys back here tomorrow and we'll finally divulge our actual fantasy free trail picks. Yeah. Before you go, please do subscribe to the channel. And then once you do, go to the Mountain Outpost channel, subscribe there too, and make sure you watch all the coverage in both places throughout race weekend. For Matt Daniels, Corinne Malcolm, Ryan Thrower, I'm Debo. See you tomorrow.